Welcome to the podcast, Most People Don't, But You Do. Stories and conversations about the benefits received and the fulfillment enjoyed by doing what most people don't. This is Bart Berkey, CEO and founder of Most People Don't. We are a motivational storytelling company where, where we provide enabling tools to empower you to do what most people don't. And when you think about people that do and that go above and beyond, I think our guest today typifies that. We are joined by a very special guest, Miss Angela Reed. I'm going to share a little bit about uh, her background before we dive into the podcast interview. But currently, she's COO and co-founder of Heritage Consulting by BNR. She's a Bain external advisor. She's an alumni of Ritz-Carlton and also the Obama administration. She is very special, um, the first woman and the ninth person in history to be a White House chief usher. So we're going to get into that and more. She's an incredible lady, an incredible leader. And I just wanted to welcome Miss Angela Reed to the podcast. Thank you, Bart. It's so great to join you. And thank you for the honor of, uh, you know, participating in your podcast. So no. delighted to be here. Yeah. And Angela, I think your story is quite amazing. And what I'm enjoying about this podcast is I get to talk to people that maybe I didn't have a direct chance to work with. I was at Pentagon City a few years after you had moved on from there. But to hear the stories about the influence, to see the influence of what you had with that group of leaders at that one particular hotel, I've always been a great admirer. So I am thrilled to be able to talk to you today and to get in a little bit about what has made you successful. And I want to make sure you're comfortable with me saying that because a lot of times people are like, okay, you know, you don't need to say all those nice things. But yes, that's why I selected you to be on the podcast. And you said yes, because you are successful and you have a great story. So Angela, I'm going to get right into it. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and then we'll kind of progress into your professional career. But tell us about growing up. Where did you grow up? Of course. So I was born and raised on the beautiful island of Jamaica and um, grew up there until um, I grew up there until high school and uh, my first few years of working in the hospitality industry. So I, I was born in a very, very small uh, nondescript town on the eastern end of the island. And my parents um, eventually moved to uh, larger cities, Montego Bay. Mm -hmm. and uh, another small parish called uh, St. Mary, which is really not that uh, critical. What was important is that both my parents, my mom worked for the government uh, and my dad and my stepmom um, worked for uh, the hotel and tourism industry. Okay. So I sort of grew up um, with watching people serve others all the time. You know, I, I had the opportunity to go to my mom's office and kind of sit there at her desk and I would listen to her as she... Um, she worked at the National Insurance Office, so she was constantly engaging with customers coming in, trying to help them uh, solve whatever their situations are. And so I saw her in action. And then I got to go to hotels and saw my dad and my stepmom uh, at work as well. And so I grew up with that sort of in my DNA, so to speak. Um, and I was always attracted to, to that sort of environment where you're constantly engaging with others. So when I finished high school and went uh, moved to Montego Bay to live with my dad, you know, Caribbean parents typically say, you need to find a job, right? Uh -huh. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to study law, but um, my parents couldn't afford to, you know, pay for me to go to law school right out of high school. 
So uh, my dad says, you need to find a job. And because he was in the industry, he had connections. So he uh, introduced me to someone who interviewed me, hired me as a front desk agent at the Half Moon Club in Montego Bay when I was just about 17, going on 18. And I mean, I was, um, first of all, I was naive. And I was like, what is this? This world was so new to me um, when I, you know, when I started working there at the front desk. But I always had this uh, curiosity about life. And so I was like this person who was soaking up everything around me and at a really fast pace. And um, because of that, and because of my, uh, my attitude about, you know, taking risk and just going for stuff, I gained a lot of mentors. So I said gained a lot of mentors because yes, at that point in time, I had no idea how important mentorship was, right? Mm-hmm. But folks took an interest in me and helped to sort of begin to shape who I would become uh, years later by just teaching me, uh, challenging me, um, giving me some of the most uh, difficult assignments as an 18 year old coming out of high school with no college experience. And so that really um, began my entree into the hotel and tourism industry. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, I'm, that and I'm, no, that, and that's an amazing story, Angel. And I'm just curious, when you thought that you wanted to study law, was there anything, um, I just had the pleasure yesterday, actually, of interviewing um, Wei Li Chang, the yes. former vice president general counsel of Ritz-Carlton. So we were talking about uh, the, the legal market, the her law firm experience and things. Um, why did you think you wanted to study law at, at such a young age? What intrigued you? <laughs> it was pre- it was more aspirational. I used to watch um, <clears throat> syndicated uh, uh, shows about um, Perry Mason. <laughs> okay, all right. With, with my dad, and I just really I was intrigued by you know the whole criminal justice uh, piece, and I just thought that's what I wanted to you know I wanted to be a lawyer. And so when I left high school, that was my intention. Okay. Okay. And then you ended up being, again, working at the front desk um, because you had experienced what your, what your mother was doing from a service perspective, helping people with the government, your dad and your stepmom in the hotel world and what you had said about curiosity about life. How would you define that? Or can you talk a little bit more about at 17, working at the front desk? So I think I, I've uh, I've always had this um, uh, openness about trying new things. So when um, when I got the job at the hotel, I really had no idea what to expect. But I I just knew that I wanted to to dive right in. I wanted to explore and experience and really find out whether there was anything in it for me, so to speak. Even though in the back of my mind, I still wanted to study law. So um, after working there for, um, you know, six months going on a year and, you know, meeting and engaging with the customers that came in. And this was what one of those swanky resorts. So you were dealing with, you know, really high net worth individuals and, uh, you know, entertainers and really famous people. And um, maybe some of that got to my head. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) But... um, but anyway, so, but folks uh, sort of said, hey, when I, have you ever considered, you know, studying hotel management? I said, no, because my interest lies. I, my heart really told me that I wanted to become a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And so um, they said, well, you probably should consider it because we, 
you know, just based on their observations of my performance and my willingness and my inter uh, interaction with customers, et cetera. And so um, two mentors, a managing director for the property and the assistant manager uh, of that particular mm -hmm. hotel, both took an interest in me and um, encouraged me to apply for a scholarship. So what I did was apply for a scholarship from the German government, because as a third world developing country, uh, the German government at the time was offering scholarships for, um, you know, to students um, as an aid to that particular country in different disciplines. It just happened to, uh, hotel and tourism was one of those. So I applied for that. Why? Because it was going to be a full scholarship. I was um, going to be able to go abroad. You know, again, my curiosity, I was open. I was a risk taker. This was like all within my wheelhouse at the time. And I was one of the successful um, uh, recipients of the scholarship. So I, you know, I got up at, you know, it was, that happened two years into working at the front desk. So it was not immediate. And um, I got up and, you know, I told my parents that I was going off to Germany and they were a little concerned. They're like, what, what are you saying? Why would you be going off to Germany? You've never been there. It's far from home, et cetera. And I said, it doesn't matter. This is what I want to do. And I am getting a full ride, full paid scholarship. And I just want to go and, um, you know, make a go of it. And I did. And um, it was one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah, and I, and I, I want to ask you about that in a second, but if we can just go back for a, a, a brief moment. So 17, 18 years old, working at the property, you had shared that you gained mentors. They took an interest in you. What do you think that you were doing? Because this will be very good experience and good lessons for our 20,000 listeners. What do you think that you did? You didn't go after them and said, would you be my mentor? They took an interest in you. What do you think they saw in you? I think they, they noticed the, my willingness to, um, my openness, one, to uh, assignments, um, my willingness to try to take a risk, to try just about anything. So you're working at the front desk, you have a, um, you know, the managing director who was uh, someone he would call over and say, so-and-so, this particular VIP is coming in. Uh, we need this, this, and this uh, to be taken care of. And I would volunteer to actually um, undertake this, uh, these particular um, high level guests with no real experience in how to do this. <laughs> and on multiple occasions, I just kept getting these um, assignments being added to me. And I just grew into the, I love the energy and I love the, um, the interaction with, with these folks that, you know, from all different walks of life. Yeah. And I, I just, I think it was a natural inclination of mine to really engage with people and try to make them comfortable and to exceed their expectations in, in various ways. So I think that was um, noticed and they took an interest in developing that particular talent or skill that I had and just continued to, um, you know, provide me opportunities to, to do that, to be customer facing. And, you know, I made mistakes. Don't, don't, you know, I made some mistakes when I got, uh, some, some tough, um, love, uh, in the process, but it was all well worth it because I could actually, um, see the benefit of, um, what I was, you know, in fact, going through at that point in time. And then I started looking, you know, down the road and seeing possibilities, things that I'd never envisioned before. 
So, um, so because of the guidance that I received from uh, these two particular mentors, I think that helps sort of uh, build and create a foundation um, from my being able to make the right decision to um, moving, you know, to Germany to study and further explore the hospitality industry. Yeah, so incredible, the importance of mentors. And I'm, I'm taking some notes just as we're talking because I'm learning. And then when we do our show notes, um, so if, if you hear a little bit of typing and our listeners hear a little bit of typing, I'm taking notes. But what I wrote down and what I typed was your curiosity about life. And I think, as you mentioned, the mentors recognized your openness, your willingness, your ability of taking risk, you volunteered, you were open for just about anything. So that probably helped fulfill your curiosity about life. It sounds like, were you learning then not only from the mentors, but were you also learning about life from these customers as well? Oh, absolutely. And I, I not only learn, I learn from my mentors every day. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, and one of the most um, one of the lessons that resonates most with me is um, is really saying yes, right? Saying yes to things that you are probably even not a hundred percent clear about, but you know that people are staring you in the right direction. Right. So it's believing and trusting in others from time to time to be able to help you sort of forge a path that you're not yet able to see. So, um, so that there was that trust that was developed because they were so good at what they did. I watched, I observed, I stole shamelessly. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would, I would just see how they operated with folks, and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Okay, so that's how you, you actually maneuver yourself in that space. Yeah. And then the guests, I mean, yeah, they were. I in two years that I was at the front desk, I made so many friends, you know. And then it was the resort where people came back. Mm-hmm. you know, and that was critical. So we'll come back and ask for you by name. Wow. And actually, when I left hotel school, I, when I, once I graduated, I went back to that resort to work as a front desk manager. So now I was, a, you know, I came back as a manager. So, yeah. Yeah. so I had some continuity there because the managing director had um, visited with me in Germany and he says, would you like to return? I'm like, absolutely. I need a job one. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to come back. And so, so yeah, it was, it was a, it was a two-way learning process. And I've always believed that learning by doing, learning by, you know, watching others do is just one of the most, the best ways to sort of um, solidify your knowledge about something, you know, you can do the theory but in action, it, it sort of um, sticks a little bit more. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And may I ask, are the, the mentors, um, are they still in your life? Are they still living? Do they know of your success? Both mentors um, were constantly in my life. Um, one, um, the fe- Myr- Myrtle is her name. I'll call her by name. She <laughs> is still alive. She's still um you know, a very successful, influential uh, woman uh, in Jamaica. Okay. And um, the managing director, Heinz, um, regrettably, he passed away last um, last year at 93, I wow. believe he was. Wow. And the funny thing was the week before was his birthday. And I had sent him a text to, to wish him a happy birthday. So but I've always been in touch with him and his family uh, uh, throughout the years. So they both uh, are fully aware of um, 
you know, the trajectory that my life took and we had the opportunity to get together and celebrate. So, so yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I was fortunate in that respect. And I love hearing that, that they were able to see and understand the influence that they had in your life. All right. So Angela, then um, going to school in Germany, and again, what an accomplishment to get a full ride, essentially to go overseas, to go abroad, um, understanding that it was a very good experience for you. Were there any initial like culture shocks? Um, did you know the language? Was the school presented in, in English or a different language? So um, the I had, again, the opportunity while I was at Half Moon, um, we, you know, the the foresight and the care that um, the leadership gave to staff was just incredible because they had language classes and uh, they had German language classes. And I'm going to explain to you why this was. It was because at that time, the German um, tourism market was very big for, for Jamaica. So uh, they, in their interest of getting uh, employees equipped and able to have conversations with uh, the German tourists, there were classes. And I did a little bit more. I went further, of course, <laughs> sort of an overachiever. So I did more classes and became uh, quite fluent um, in German uh, to a you know high degree. But when I went to Germany, I did six months of language lab. So I worked in a language lab for six months before actually going to school. So um, there was a combination of both English and German tutelage. So um, so it was that the language was not such a shock. And I think, again, it's your disposition and how you approach life and how you view opportunities. And just going there for me, it was um, not only was it a learning, you know, educational opportunity to, um, to build my credentials and to make my country proud and to make my, my parents proud and to achieve something, you know, make something of myself. But it was also um, fulfilling my curiosity about other cultures, right? I was exposed to them in the hotel industry, so many different cultures, people from all walks of life. And I just wanted to build on that. So I was just, um, I was like a sponge. I was soaking everything up. So I was going, traveling all around Europe and, um, you know, meeting in school, you know, fellow students from all over the world. I'd never met anyone from Bhutan until then when I went to Germany. So there were just these countries that I had never even heard of in my geography class. And now I was interacting with all these folks. And I, I just, that was just such a, a motivational thing for me. And I loved it. Yeah, sounds like an incredible experience. Okay, and so then after graduation from school in Germany, you went back to the resort as a manager. Then what, what landed you into, I guess, New York City? You were director of operations for the Renaissance New York Hotel. And then you went to a whole bunch of different cities. But what prompted you to, I guess, initially move to the States after, was it after your, your front office manager position? No, um, I did a quite a stint. So after um, returning to the Half Moon Club for a couple of years, I moved on to work for uh, several other properties on the island. Okay. And I was working for the Jamaica Grand, which was a Renaissance uh, hotel at the time, actually opened that property. And um, it was after opening that property, two years later, I remember going to the um, regional vice president for human resources and said, you know, I am seeking, you know, a new challenge. Are there any opportunities anywhere uh, outside of uh, Jamaica that Mm -hmm. I could avail myself of? 
and never really, you know, having a particular uh, thing in mind. And uh, it was probably a year later that he came back and he said, well, there's the opportunity for you to move to Washington, D.C., mm. to the Mayflower Hotel uh, on a sort of a fellowship, so a training program to learn, you know, how hospitality is done there and return to the Caribbean. That was the objective. I was supposed to return um, to the to the island. And um, after going to the Mayflower and working there for two years in a sort of a management trainee um, role where I was given, you know, various projects, you know, rebranding of a restaurant, um, mm -hmm. managing, you know, uh, various uh, fundraising drives for the hotel, just different things, working in human resources. It was also, it, it was just a myriad number of things. At the end of my two years, I remember the general manager at the time uh, said, um, okay, we have an opportunity for you in New York City, Times Square. Would you like to move there? And I said, no, I don't really want to go to New York City. It's such a fast paced city. I don't think I can, you know, I can handle that. Mm -hmm. I remember telling him that. And I said, however, I'd like to go home and take a few minutes and think about this. Mm -hmm. And the next day I came back, you know, having talked to mentors, because I always reach out to these folks when I have a you know, difficult decision. And the answer was, look, you have to say yes. You know, this is an opportunity for further growth. This is they're entrusting a huge responsibility, uh, you know, in to you, and so I went back and said, "Okay, I'll, I'll do New York." <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I moved to New York City as director of operations. And um, again, you know, as I say, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Yeah. But it was just um, a phenomenal experience. And uh, the hotel, as you know, is located there in Times Square, and. We went on to be like, you know, one of the top hotels uh, in the chain and won a couple of awards, you know, while I was there. So um, that's how I, I, I came to the United States based on, on a developmental um, scholarship of sorts. And, and then that just morphed into several other appointments um, because, you know, the opportunity presented themselves. And I said, yes. Yeah. And, and that's right. That's the theme right now for Angela Reed. It yes. is. It is saying yes. It's saying yes. It's saying yes. It's having that curiosity. It's accepting the challenges, which I think is incredible lessons for anyone listening to this podcast to learn from. That that. And what I also love about what you said is that you said yes, but you needed a little time to think about it, right? So you went home. You went back to to um, to, to home base, right? To the roots, mm -hmm. to where you grew up, um, and then you talked to I'm sure family members, and you talked to your mentors. And they advised you a certain way. So has there been an opportunity, and then I want to get into your leadership style, but Angela, has there been an opportunity in which perhaps you said no? I, um, there have been, you know, several opportunities that have presented themselves that to which I have said no in a creative way. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> because I, I, you know, for, for different reasons, either I wasn't ready to make a particular move from a project, you know, based mm -hmm. on geography or location. But I haven't really said no um, to, to really... Um, sound yeah. uh to the right well, opportunities you've never to the right said, opportunity well, yes. I, okay. I i think i just i had that i have this innate sense yeah. about um identifying you know what is um 
what has great potential, even without knowing the full measure of what that opportunity is. Yeah. I will ask questions and I will sort of um, assess and evaluate myself at that point in time and determine whether this is something I want to embark on. But I've never shied away from it, <clears throat> sorry, because it was too lofty or too challenging. You know, if the more challenging it is, is I think it's the more I'm like, okay, I want to do this. Yeah, and what you what you also just said right now is is so brilliant, Angela. It's about you said you asked about the potential, so you examined what the opportunity looked like, and then you assess you uh, um, assessed yourself, and yes. that is one thing we're going to actually be talking about it next week with some of my clubhouse friends is about self awareness, and I give the example of uh, a professional quarterback. Uh, you know, you will you will often see a professional quarterback, if they are forced to run, they will slide before they get hit because they understand what they're good at and what their role is and what they like to do and what they're getting paid to do. So they're, they don't need to be a running back because they have a running back that does that. They need to be healthy, not crushed, and be able to pass the ball and call plays. So I love, love, love what you just said about you, um, you assess yourself to see if it's something that you wanted to do. Did you ever say yes to things that had the potential, but perhaps you didn't really in your heart want to do them? Truthfully, no. Okay. Um, I, 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 I cannot you know, bring to mind from a professional uh, career perspective, anything um, of that nature. I, yeah. I, I, I just have this, um, this really, <laughs> wild spirit about me in a way that doesn't allow me to shy away from things that are um, going to benefit not just myself but others. I, I tend to look at it too from, you know, you know, what is not not just what is in it for me, but you know, why are others interested in having me undertake this uh, particular. Um, role and so I, I wait from both sides and um, I consider myself to be like a most imperfect leader and I say that not with just that because I am I am an imperfect leader but I always strive every day to be better and in order to be better you have to do things to get better you can't just simply <laughs> sit back and and become better so that's why oh. I always put myself out there and yeah, and you know, you know, make the mistakes, and I'm my worst critic, and I will yeah. ruminate about stuff, and you know, sort of just measure what what could you have done better, and just constantly try to sort of um, sharpen that saw, you know, as yeah. uh, and and just be better. So if you don't take a risk, how are you ever going to know how good you could be? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny that you said that when you can see me smiling because we're doing it via Zoom, but we're using the audio, of course. The, for the podcast, but I'm smiling because there's a quote that I say almost during every single presentation. It is this, it's easy to be, but it's better to become. We can Absolutely. remain being as we are. I could be unfit. I could be unmotivated. And guess what? Tomorrow I can remain being unfit and unmotivated by mm -hmm. doing absolutely nothing. Right. And your whole point is you need to do things to get better. If we want to become better, we need to do we need to do what most people don't do, which I just think is brilliant. Um, what you also had referenced is about taking opportunities that you knew not necessarily would only benefit you, make you feel good, help you achieve your goals, 
maximize your potential, but that it would benefit others, which then brings me to the question about your leadership style. I know you just said that you are um, an imperfect leader, but mm -hmm. you were able to, um, and I'll just read quickly here, hotel manager, Washington, D.C., hotel and residences for three years with, with the Ritz-Carlton, uh, general manager of uh, Ritz-Carlton Coconut Grove and residences for three years, five months, general manager for nine years, Ritz-Carlton Pentagon City. Um, how were you able to be, and take this with a grain of salt, so successful, even if you are classifying yourself as an imperfect leader? Bart, I think it is um, early on getting to know myself. Um, you know, obviously others, you know, you put a mirror up to yourself, but others also help, uh, help you see things um, or traits or characteristics about yourself that you may not be aware of. And it's a matter of whether you choose to listen, pay attention or not. And I know that, um, yeah, I've learned uh, life through doing, experiencing, and also watching what other, you know, great leaders and other um, individuals that I admire, you know, how they operate. That's those, that's where I've gotten most of my lessons. And I've learned this from leaders, employees, um, you know, um, intellectuals, just, I am just, I am not a, um, a, uh, a snob <laughs> uh, to the point where I only choose specific areas or people from whom I'd like to learn. And I am very, very um, conscious of what my strengths are and what my, um, my limitations are. And um, you are familiar with Talent Plus and, um, I, you know, through the years, you know, as I continue to rise and grow up in the industry, I really learned that it's really about maximizing what you do well. You know, who, who, where am I most comfortable? You know, where do I make the best, how do I make the best connections with people? How do I, um, how do I excel? You know, and use those strengths to really propel me beyond those limitations that I have. Yeah. Because the limitations will just, they're not going to go away. Those are also nat natural inclinations, the good things and the bad things. Yeah. So it's really um, moving through life with um, intentional um, uh, conversations with myself and others and knowing that um, I enter each and every relationship with that other individual or individual's interest at heart. I, you know, again, there's another uh, quote from Dr. Hall that says, I seek your greatest good, right? I, I mean, you no harm. I right. seek your greatest good. And that always is always in the back of my mind. There's something about it that it's just a really smart, nifty way to say, hey, you know, I am not engaging in this relationship um, to place you at a disadvantage. I am engaging in this relationship because together, you know, we can create a synergy that is going to propel us to greatness. And I, I'm, I've always been somebody who, you know, I always strive for excellence. And sometimes my perfectionism can be, um, uh, can be extreme. So, you know, that's one of my imperfections. But I find that I am uh, able to recognize that um, 
you know, <laughs> when it's <laughs> about to, to, uh, to not be pleasant. So I, I can, you know, pull myself back. So I don't work with blinders. I am very aware. I, I, I have a lot of conversations with, with um, my staff, my employees. And yeah, the good, there are good conversations. There are bad, you know, conversations that are not necessarily, that have to be had, but are not necessarily the most pleasant ones. Yeah. And I am very open, uh, willing, able uh, to have those. And um, just to help people recognize in themselves also what their potential is and how I can contribute and help them, um, you know, become better. And I think one of the things that I really pride myself about is relationships. I, um, I build relationships on an individual basis. I'm more um, inclined to do that than in this mass group setting. Mm -hmm. So I see people, you know, you know I kind of try to meet people where they are. And mm -hmm. so I, I, I learn about them and, um, you know, just try to, um, to be uh, open and speak the truth. You know, I remember as an example, when we were going through the 2009 or 2008, economic downturn and I was in uh, at Pentagon City. And it resonates with me because those were some of the toughest conversations I've had with employees um, and guests, but you know, more so employees. But I realized early on that I had to be honest, right? And honesty meant telling them the facts as they were um, and explaining that, okay, this is our reality, but together, we're going to find solutions and we're going to make this thing work. And it, 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 and it did. And, you know, folks were like on board and they're volunteering their time to give back to others. It was an amazing um, um, uh, sort of breakthrough experience for me, actually. And it was all about being open and consistently honest with people. Yeah. And not that we would compare the financial crisis of, you know, 2007, 2008 to now, because it's different, but do you, do you see the same sense uh, in your consulting business and the groups that you work with? Are you finding that people are coming together now to help one another, that they're, be they're being honest with each other, but they are pulling together? I think over the last year, that has been definitely very evident. I, I really feel that um, the constant morphing and changing of this whole pandemic over the last few months has sort of um, caused a certain uncertainty, I think, among uh, folks. So they're not always, I don't think we're always sure, you know, what the next right thing is, because the next right thing is going to change um, based on you know the um, information that is shared with us from a, a national level but um, personally I I was you know I felt the need to reach out to people because I went through um, a few months there where I felt completely off balance and it's not it wasn't like me I remember telling my friends um, you know, my close friends, I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I can't seem to find my footing. Nothing seemed clear to me. And I was, I had no idea what it was, um, you know, but there was something that I could not um, sort out uh, from an emotional perspective. And I think it was just the, the fact that we had the idea that the pandemic was going to be ending in July or something was going to change in the middle of the summer. And suddenly it, 
it just continued on and yeah. a, a sense of, um, I guess, vulnerability, but not hopelessness at all. It was just a feeling of uncertainty that sort of destabilized me for a few months. Yeah. And the bottom line, and I tell, this is strange, but um, Michelle Obama had a podcast. Um, and I remember listening to her podcast last uh, year. Mm. And one of the topics she discussed, she came out and she said, I felt somewhat depressed, you know, during this whole, as a pandemic unfolded, those were, may not have been her ex exact words. But then when I heard her say that, I'm like, oh my God. So maybe what I'm going through, isn't that abnormal, right? Other people are going through the same thing. Yeah. And it just uh, made me more, um, I decided I needed to reach out to people because I said, if others are feeling the way I'm feeling, yeah. it is so important that you just say, hey, how are things going? Not reaching out for any you know, particular reason except to check in. Right. So I did a lot of those check-ins. And I think generally, um, a lot of folks were doing the very same thing because I think I wrote a, a little bit, um, a LinkedIn article about you know, people needing people. Yes. Um, and the fact that this was a time when you really realize how important that human connection yeah. um, meant, intentional human connection, not just, you know, whatever. So yeah, I, I think um, though the economic downturn is not the same, it was, it's a, it was a, a group uh, experience. I mean, a national experience that um, would either break or make you or, or whatever, and you needed others to be able to stay afloat. Yeah, and I think that that is so critically important and you were you were discussing about having intentional conversations with yourself with different things and how incredible that you realize that you don't need to only have conversations with yourself that you needed to reach out to your resources so whether it was you know michelle obama's podcast that got you into a different frame of reference but yeah but we need each other and um i, I wrote a story not long ago that everyone has stuff and we mm -hmm. need to seek to understand um, that, you know, people, people always have things. So um, the more that we can do for others, the, the more that we're getting out of our own head, you know? So if, if I want to worry all day about me, fine, but there's other people that I could direct my efforts toward helping. And when that happens, they feel good. And then I feel good. So Absolutely. I, I, I just think it's incredible about using your resources and then you knew that it was okay it was okay to feel unstable it was okay to not be able to find your footing um and you referenced michelle obama which is going to then lead me into uh, my, my next question you were at the ritz carlton for many many years pentagon city for gosh for nine years and then all of a sudden um we we hear about you know this press release the word gets around when we're working for ritz carlton Angela Reed is going to go work at the White House. Can you talk about, and first of all, you know, what an accomplishment becoming director of executive residence and the chief usher <laughs> and um, in, in your bio, one of only nine people to have that role and the first female, correct, to have that role. Uh, what an accomplishment. Correct. And I know it rocked our Ritz-Carlton world because we're like, oh, I can't believe we're leaving. She's leaving us. And then you realize what you were going to do, truly making history, Angela. Can you tell us about how that even happened? 
Oh, that's such a funny story. And we don't have enough time for me to tell you all the details. But first of all, it was an honor. Uh, it was the honor of my life to, to serve, um, you know, the one, the first African-American family and, um, you know, the American people through that uh, opportunity. And I had zero idea <laughs> about what it all entailed. So a little bit of the backstory is this. I, um, it was summer of uh, 2011 and um, a friend of mine in DC every year opens her pool in June. So I went to a pool party. <laughs> hi, hi. And at this pool party, um, at the end of the day, um, I uh, met a young lady who, you know, introduced myself to her and she said, oh, I work at the White House. What do you do? And I told her that I, you know, I was the general manager of the Ritz in Pentagon City. And we just started having a very casual conversation. And uh, during that conversation, she said, well, you know, I know that they're looking for someone like you. And I'm like, hmm, someone like me, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, she had just started working there. So she had very little information to share. She just knew that the position um, of the chief usher or director of executive residence and chief usher was uh, vacant and they were looking to fill the position. So um, we had a conversation. There was nothing about that that made me, um, intrigued me because the White House was like, for me, it was like an iron curtain. Who knows what goes on behind, you know, those, uh, those walls. So I was back in my office two weeks later and I decided to look up a phone number mm -hmm. and call the White House. So I literally, Bart, you will understand this, cold call the White House. So I cold called the White House. Uh, and um, this wonderful uh, young lady answered the phone and I said, you know, I was very um, upbeat and I said, oh, I was just calling one to see if someone would answer the phone at the White House. And secondly, I heard that there's this position. Can you tell me something about it? And she, you could tell the, 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 the veil went up and she was like, well, how do you hear about this? Because we don't advertise these roles. And I said, look, I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but I was at a pool party and I think, and I met someone. <laughs> And, and that's, that's the reason why I'm calling you. So long story short, um, she, in the end, she said, may I have your name and number? And I gave her my name and number. I even gave her my office number. And you know, if you're looking for a job, you never give out your office number. Right. So uh, an hour later, my phone rings, I pick it up and it's uh, someone from the White House calling. <laughs> they said, oh, I am, I just happened to be sitting in the office when you were having this conversation. So I heard one side of the conversation how did you hear about this? And we went on through the whole thing of the pool party and everything. And uh, after 15 minutes, we just had this great rapport and conversation because I was just talking about my life, you know, and working for Ritz, how I love Ritz, et cetera. And um, she said, well, in fact, we are looking for someone. Would you mind sharing your resume? So I did. Um, and I really, up to that point, was still not looking for a job. I was just going through this, again, being open, not knowing where anything is going to lead. Um, and, um, you know, approximately six interview sessions later, um, the, you know, the rest is history. The bottom line is I went through this process and at a point in the process, I said, okay, this appears to be going on a path that could potentially lead to this unknown um, role because there was not much I knew about the role, right? Except what you would read online. And it really didn't give you a, you know, a great uh, feeling about what it was. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so it, it was, it was the long and short of it. I cold called the White House. I, um, I was open to, uh, 
to um, going in and speaking to them, I did. And um, I ended up being uh, selected and I had no idea that there would have been that sort of a major media splash about the appointment because we you know I'm coming from Rich Carlton. We don't do those things. So it's not a world that I lived in. Right. And um, yeah, I, I interviewed with, you know, both the first lady and the president, which was, I mean, amazing and daunting at the same time. Mm. And um, just an incredible experience. And, you know, the staff was, you know, very welcoming. And I, I knew that it was going to be challenging because any new Exp uh, leadership experience, it doesn't matter whether you're in a hotel or anywhere else, there are going to be inherent challenges. Mm -hmm. And um, my objective uh, every day was I wanted to create um, an environment of excellence. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to share my outside and external knowledge um, uh, with, you know, with this institution mm -hmm. in a way that it would be um, moving it forward. And I wanted also to have zero defects from a public perspective because I was so protective about um, the welfare of the family and you know the um, the you know the residents in general that I went in every day, <clears throat> you know, with the staff saying, okay, we have to deliver just what we did yesterday, just as you know, with the same passion, with the same drive, with the same care. You know, we can never let our guard down. So it was always, always walking a, a high wire um, for the most part because of the number of events that take place and the type of events and the, um, the magnitude of those events. So um, it, it was just, it was incredible. Yeah, and in, not in my wildest dreams would I have imagined that that would have been a, a path in my career. Yeah. So was it almost, Angela, like, like the White House was a, a hotel in sense? Mm -hmm. And then you are responsible for all thing residential, residentially, that's not a right word, related? Yeah, I would not use, I could, I would say it's akin to a hotel environment, but definitely not a hotel. Clearly it's the, um, you know, the, the workspace mm -hmm. and um, private residence, you know, of the president of the United States. So, but there is a lot of parallels in the fact that um, you are, you know, managing a household um, in this historic uh, establishment, you were managing and staging events, and you were caring, you know, for the personal welfare and well-being of this family. So there are a lot of um, what we in the hotel industry would consider to be um, similarities the naming and the labels were very different mm -hmm. but you know we were we were providing you know there's a culinary experience you know there's housekeeping there are carpenters and engineers and electricians and uh flower you know florists and uh operations was really um the same as what you would probably call a banquet house person uh in the hotel so yeah there were similarities but i would be it would not be the appropriate label to say it was like a hotel. Yes, okay, but, got it. But it was not entirely foreign, yeah. you know, in its, uh, in the um, the components once I started working there. Yeah, so obviously transferable skills. And I'm just curious, and knowing your, your drive, your curiosity, your leadership, I know that you were excellent and you created a team of excellence. Uh, at a hotel, you might have engagement scores. Is there a way, 
how, how, when you had that position, how did you know if you were doing a great job for you and the team? How did you know? The, um, primarily uh, on feedback from the um, first lady and the president mm -hmm. um, as the, the uh, prime beneficiaries of a, you know, a smooth or operating um, house uh, events that were executed um, uh, at the level that they ought to be um, executed. Um, you know, I had roundtables with um, with employees on a regular basis, uh, with you know senior leaders as well. And you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not painting that it was perfect because as um, you know, there were situations that, like in any environment, that one had to. To manage, and not all were necessarily um, uh, how do you say enjoyed by all. <laughs> yep, you know, there are situations. Yeah, there are situations where you you needed to um, to make, to correct course, so to speak, right? Yeah. And um, it, it's just a matter of um, sometimes how receptive folks are to to change. Yeah. I, I mean, I believe in incorporating ideas, and I think that's one of the reasons. Um, also behind my selection was having the uh, experience um, I had with Ritz-Carlton, for example, and, and other um, hotels prior to that, that really prepared me and, and armed me with a toolkit yeah. with which I was able to, to, to broaden um, the, uh, this, the, the skill set of um, the, um, the staff there. But at the same time, respecting the institution and the legacy of that institution and respecting their amazing ability uh, and innovation uh, in that space, the team there was absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it was just uh, an absolute pleasure to serve with them and alongside them. Yeah. And um, amazing. yeah. Amazing. Like, so, did, so was your performance review conducted by the president? <laughs> there was no formal performance. Okay, right, okay, yeah, I think yeah, I think the I think the performance re, uh, review is based on um, whether you are retained or not retained. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. And just curious, and if this is too personal a question, it's okay. Are you still in touch with the Obama family? Yes and no. Okay. And, and, <laughs> um, yes, I have. I have an avenue uh, of yeah. uh, connection. Should yeah. I choose to exercise that? Yeah. Yeah. No. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Okay. Um, so uh, we we have probably two more questions. And again, um, I I'm continuing to learn from you, Angela. I know our twenty thousand listeners are are continuing to learn um, some amazing takeaways. And what I love about the White House story was that you probably thought like, why not ask, right? Be yourself, be authentic, and why not ask? And um, I, I just love that that, is, that was your approach. And that didn't change from the time that you were a 17 year old working at the front desk in a hotel in Jamaica. You know, you are still true to yourself. And it just reminded me just the other day, um, I, I sent a note through LinkedIn to Damon John Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the sharks and founders of, right. of um, you know, FUBU. <laughs> um, so I just said, hey, look, uh, this is me. I have a podcast and I know you get requests like this all the time, but I would love to see if you would be a guest on my podcast. Now we'll see mm -hmm. if he says yes. 
But um, it's just interesting because the point is like, why not ask, right? We're here in life. We want to learn from each other. Why not ask? So I'm so, uh, I think that story, Angela, is just so amazing. But the last question that I want to ask you is, um, I know that you continue to give back to others. Um, you, you know, you were talking about the importance of mentorship. Mm -hmm. um, I know that there's a lot of people that respect you, including myself, look up to you. Are you, um, are, are you in the capacity, and I know you have your full-time business with your consulting firm, but are you still able to mentor individuals that perhaps you've known throughout your hospitality career? Absolutely. I am a steadfast in staying in touch with, uh, in staying in touch with, um, you know, former colleagues and, and employees that I've worked with. And, you know, they will, they can speak for themselves, but they're there. And we, we, we're constantly in touch about various things, whether it's just, you know, about the family or um, a new appointment that they got. But yes, constantly. It means a lot to me because um, I see and it's not, I'm not partial to, um, to just, um, you know, uh, embracing the women or the, the female leaders, but in a way I am, I see the world through the lens of a girl, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I also will, I'm there for my, um, my male colleagues as well. Yeah. But um, the fact that I benefited so much from um, mentorship and mentoring of others, I feel compelled, and I've always felt this way, compelled to, to pay that forward in some way, shape, or form. It may not be, you know, in huge, um, you know, monumental um, actions, but to be there as a sounding board for, you know, young, aspiring, um, developing leaders, mm -hmm. or just employees looking for a job, or um, somebody just going through hardships. So, I, when I first, um, I'm on the board of um, Girls Inc. of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, um, I first saw Girls Inc. in action when I was at the uh, White House. But before that, every community that I worked in with Ritz Carlton, Marriott, Renaissance, I always sought out a, um, a school or, you know, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, um, the USO, et cetera, because I just felt that as an immigrant, one, you know, to this country, I have been afforded so many opportunities that I have clearly, you know, seized upon to, you know, to, um, to my benefit and, and that of others. But because of that, I feel compelled to give back. I feel compelled to be connected with the community in which I work and um, doing this, the type of service I choose to yeah. provide is really, you know, sharing my experiences, giving, volunteering my time, um, you know, to help inspire and, and, and lift up others who uh, oftentimes just need to see something in action to believe they can also do it. Yeah. So it, yeah. Girls Inc. of Chicago is really um, dear to my heart and um, I'll continue to to serve in that capacity. Oh, amazing, amazing. And thank you for, for giving so much of yourself. And I know before we hit the record button, we were talking about um, a trip to Columbia and how um, you were able to kind of seek out groups that perhaps needed some assistance. And, and that was probably not your main intent in going there, but can you talk a little bit about what you discovered when you went to Columbia? Absolutely. Um, 
you know, first of all, Bart, I am, I love traveling. I think, you know, traveling is my, it's not only therapy, but it's like an education for me. So I love to travel. And um, every time I make a trip to a, a country, you know, um, outside of, you know, home, mm-hmm. I always have this desire to, to seek out the opportunity to somehow give back to that country. Mm-hmm. I, I was last year, early last year, I was in Portugal, you know, did the same thing. I was in South Africa, did the same thing. Um, so when I went to Colombia uh, in, in April, yeah, it was really to discover one, a new country. And, um, you know, I knew I could work remotely because, you know, uh, after the past year that has taught us that we can work from anywhere. But while I was there, I, I visited one particular location three times because I was so, I became so emotionally attached to the struggle and the, the, um, the obvious desire that the, the, the folks who resided there um, were trying to lift themselves up out of a stigma of um, an association with a past that would, you know, they just needed to be liberated from. And, you know, they were interested in um, learning English and, you know, obviously needed other types of, of aid as well. And, you know, I took a couple of my friends there that, you know, one friend came to visit me in Colombia and I took her there um, because I wanted her to see it as well. And now together we are going to, you know, be um, working with a local connection that we have to provide books, you know, English books and to do, you know, other types of supplies that would be beneficial to the young kids in that particular community. Because I, I mean, in every country that you go, there are going to be these opportunities to touch and change a life it may not be a million lives, but if we can change one, oh my God, you know, and, and I just, it's just a passion and a, a, a natural thing for me to want to do that wherever I go. So I, I, I seek it out as opposed to wait for it to come to me. I mean, and talk about incredible. And when, when we discuss the reason why I started this podcast, most people don't, but you do in stories and conversations about people going above and beyond and Angela, you are certainly, again, so typified. You are the ultimate giver, the ultimate leader. Um, For individuals um, that would like to get in touch with you, um, and and I know I just have like one last question as well. Um, COO and co-founder, Heritage Consulted by BNR, minority-owned hospitality consulting firm comprised of a carefully curated network of independent hospitality professionals. If individuals would like to get in touch with you with regard to heritage consulting opportunities, can you talk just a little bit about what services you provide through heritage consulting? So certainly. So heritage consulting is um, twofold. One, my partner, Olivia um, Brown, and I decided to launched this company back in 2019, not ever anticipating (laughs) that there was going to be a pandemic uh, a few months later. Mm -hmm. And um, we did that. um, We were both at a point in our careers, you know, Olivia was uh, the general manager at the Bellagio Hotel, and I had uh, recently left the White House and was was working in Chicago and just wanted um, to embark on an entrepreneurial uh, journey, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so we just came together. We've always been friends um, and we just came together at the right time. It was a perfect storm. And in evaluating the marketplace, we found that a lot of consultants do not have the opportunity to really um, 
mine new business while they're servicing a bit, you know, others. And so we felt, okay, why don't we, you know, create, uh, why don't we try to fill this niche where we are the business development arm of this consulting firm and we go out, we are the ones finding business, <clears throat> sorry, and then, um, you know, assigning that to the consultant. So they continuously get to do what they love and what they do best. And um, so that was one of the reasons um, why we, we started the firm. And clearly we have a wealth of experience between us both and between among the entire um, team of consultants, um, skills and experience that are transferable to just about all industries. And, um, you know, the Ritz, our Ritz-Carlton background, et cetera, just is a foundation of, you know, service excellence that we want to be able to, um, to, to share, you know, with others. I mean, and the fact also that we have been there, done that, we're not consultants who've never worked in the industry. Right, right. We've actually ran hotels. We have tried and proven um, approaches to solving a lot of uh, pain points. And so we feel that we're equipped to add value to organizations at various stages of um, business development. So, so that's what our company does and um, in a nutshell. And we are, um, you know, we can be obviously found at www.heritageconsultingbybr.com, one okay. word. Okay, got it. And, um, uh, you know, I can, my phone number is Okay. Oh, you well, don't need you, that. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I'd rather people, because I don't want you to get bombarded, which you might, which is a good thing, actually. Yeah. But if I may give out um, uh, LinkedIn, Angela, A-N-G-E-L-L-A, then read R-E-I-D. Absolutely. So perhaps, and again, I want you to get bombarded with business opportunities, but I didn't want you to get bombarded with phone calls. <laughs> so Angela Reed, again, COO, co-founder, Heritage Consulting by BNR. Um, just, you know, you are, you are certainly an inspiration to me and to so many others. Uh, I'm sad that I didn't have the opportunity of working with you in the hotel world, but the way that I look at it and I ask my clients, I said, tell me one good thing that it has resulted as a result of the pandemic, one good thing that has happened. And I'm looking at like this, this connection, right? It took a pandemic for me to have an opportunity, a platform to be able to reach out to Angela Reed. So I am so grateful. Um, I love your curiosity about life, your openness to anything, your willingness, ability to volunteer, saying yes to everything, learning by watching others, and then really, I, I mean, accelerating, right? Learning from your mentors, always trying to become better, helping other individuals, and boy, you are certainly someone that does. Angela, cannot thank you enough. I know um, this was a little bit long time-wise, so thank you so much. I could really talk to you for about another four hours, but you have offered so many great takeaways for our listeners, and please continue doing what most people don't. You are exceptional. Thank you so much, Bart. It's, it's a pleasure. Um, and yeah, say yes. is That's my, my one uh, parting uh, advice. Say yes. Awesome. Thank you again, Angela.